tip in the air, caught by the Bengals. AJ Green. It's complete. Caught by Boyd. Tyler Boyd. Touchdown. Remarkable. Oh, oh, it's That's William Jackson. No one near him. Uh, it's going to go to Mixon, dancing around, edging to the right, inside the five, high-stepping into the end zone. Here's the first time, Burrow to the end zone, wide open, touchdown, it's Higgins. What is up, guys? Welcome to another episode of Who Day Talk. Here is Jay and Mike, and we're going to be talking about some Tyler Boyd stuff. We, we, we did some film study on him, and uh, we wanted to kind of determine whether or not he actually is truly a slot receiver or if he could play outside. And uh, also going to talk about some of the recent news on Carl Lawson, as well as uh, some free agency developments uh, with free agency coming up on the 17th and the tampering period starting on Monday. So... With that, let's get right into it, Mike. Uh, what, what do we want to talk about first? The Lawson thing, I guess, is the more pertinent issue. Um, so, yeah, so Carl Lawson went on Jay Morrison at the Center Junior's podcast and was essentially talking about the, uh, the Bengals and just his career with the Bengals and his future. And uh, a lot that was talked about was uh, the impending free agency uh, of Carl Lawson and he was essentially just saying, like, yeah, like the franchise tag didn't really make sense for either of us. Uh, and he he wants some long term security. But even from the Bengals side, Carl Lawson was speaking as, hey, like if you franchise tag me or anyone, we're going to have a pretty high cap hit. It makes more sense to sign us long term and lower our year one cap hit. So hearing that, for me at least, was a very it gave me a very team player vibe from Carl Lawson. Uh, did you have any other takeaways from that? Yeah, not a ton. Um, he's funny, uh, just in general. Um, I don't think that comes out very often, just uh, hearing him talk. But uh, it sounded like he liked, he would like to be here, which is great for us, um, because I, I, I was fine taking the big cap hit and uh, franchise tagging him and working on an extension that way, just because I think there's going to be a team or two out there that knows how good Carl is. That's yeah. going to look past five and a half sacks and instead see 32 quarterback hits. Right. Um, um, that's definitely something that, I mean, I, as Cincinnati fans, we know how good he is, but I feel like a lot, like you said, a lot of teams kind of just look at the, the sacks numbers or they don't necessarily do the deep dive, but I mean, you're certainly right. A couple teams are going to know that. And I think that's where the worry comes in that we're not going to be able to bring him back. Yeah. I think the real fear is that Cleveland knows that. Yeah. Yeah. And there's been a lot of rumors, not even rumors, but just a lot of Cleveland fans have been pounding the table for him. And that that would just, that would be terrible. Ugh, oh, yeah. God. Two times a year, just seeing Carl Lawson digging with yeah, that long I, arm. I, I don't know how they can let a guy like that walk. I mean, he was he was very clearly talking about, like, he, he obviously cares about the team's best interest. He obviously wants to be a Bengal. And the thing that really got me is on that podcast, you, you heard him talk about, and he he glanced over no one really addressed it but he said the Bengals hadn't even reached out to him or that there's been no negotiations and this yeah, was three days ago but and he he also said it was probably because of corona or whatever but i mean to me like that's a guy like you know you're gonna you're, you should be at least trying to keep and yeah even if it's pending corona stuff fine whatever but at least get the talks going i mean you have this advantage of we're the only team that can sign him to a deal up until the 15th. So I feel like that's an advantage they need to be taking, taking advantage of. So that's just me. But Yeah, he blamed the corona for it. And I don't know how much I believe, really, that corona is the reason. I mean, you can, you can say that the cap's the reason. We know how much the cap would be. But we should have started talks. I mean, just talking about, like, we think you're worth $13, $14 per year. And then we're going to wait to see the cap and then we'll work your first year cap right. hit from there or something like that. Exactly. It shouldn't be no talks at all. That'd be ridiculous to exactly. me. Exactly. And that's the other thing. They did know the, the cap minimum. The, min the cap was at least going to be 180 million. We found that out a week and a half ago. So that they had an idea of where it was going to come in at. They, it's not like the, the teams don't know what the revenues are coming in. Like the fans are kind of in the dark on that, but the teams have a, a ver very much better idea of what the cap's going to end up as than we do and all the all the estimates that we saw from 
even like December, were between 175 and 185 million. And the fan estimates are right because it came in at 182 and a half. So the fans can get the estimates right. The teams have more information than we do. There's no reason why they shouldn't be able to pin down what the cap's probably going to be and get a head start on negotiations. Yeah, I think at worst, without any cuts, we would still have, if it was like 175 million at the cap, I think we were still, what, 30 million under. So there was no reason not to talk to them. Yeah, so if it was 175 million, which we knew from two weeks ago that it was going to be 180 million. So let's even, even if it was just 180 million, I mean, we still would have had 39 million, 38 million to spend. Uh, and that's before that's before Geno Atkins. That's that's before Bobby Hart, Xavier Sufield. And that's another thing I want to touch on real quick while I, while we were talking. I mean, Bobby Hart. I've seen a lot going around lately, and I, I completely agree with with the line of thinking uh, that the Bengals aren't going to move on from him until after the draft. And I, I've been kind of talking about it a, a little more recently in the past couple of weeks. But it. Just what we know about the Bengals, how they operate, I, I could definitely see him being a Bengal through through the month of April. Yeah, and he's better than fans want to believe. I see a lot of the same videos about, look, he's not even trying here on a full slide to the right where Quentin Spain right. stepped left and the guy got through. Like, it looks like he's not trying because this guy dropped into coverage. And yeah, even it's, not, will- it's not his it's not yeah. his line. Willie Anderson even went over that. and It's still the main narrative with Cincinnati fans was, yeah, he's not even trying on this play. It's not that. He's just not a quick processor. He's never been a cerebral player. So right. he doesn't he doesn't see his guy drop and immediately look inside. Like, there's going to be somebody there. He's uh, He sees him drop, and then he's waiting, waiting, and then by the time he looks over, the guy's through. So he has his problems. He's not a good player. He's, he's the stopgap. I mean, really... Yeah. Rick Wagner is not a huge upgrade over him. He's just a different Ooh, face. He's, a, he's an upgrade. I, okay, I'll say this. Say I'll that. say this. I think by, if Bobby Hart comes back and plays like he did last year, I can agree with that. I think yeah, Rick yeah, Wagner is an upgrade at best. However, yeah. the first five, six years of his career, which I, I, I see, I think he's due for regression. I, I don't think I don't think he's going to come in and be this, this average tackle like he was last year. I think he's going to come in and he's going to be below average to bat again. So, but if he let's assume he's going to come in and play like he did last year, which I think was a an average tackle, maybe slightly below average. I think tackle. slightly below, but yeah, I mean, below average to us, to us, it was average. <laughs> yeah, to us, it was average. So let's call it slightly below average. I think Rick Wagner is an average tackle. Yeah. Um, and even if that's the only upgrade, I mean, I, I think that's what you got to do. I mean, I think Rick Wagner and Matt Filer are the two guys that are kind of the the good stop gaps on the market. And I think those are both upgrades over Bobby, and I think they're going to cost just as much as Bobby's going to cost. And to me, I think you just you just need to get a guy like that out of here, just because we, we need to have some culture turnover, we need to have some player turnover, bad player turnover rather, and just because I I, I fear that they're gonna they're gonna look at Bobby Hart and they're gonna say that's continuity, that's stuff we need. We need to have continuity on the line, which continuity is good, but not not bad players. Like you don't like. A consistently bad player is still a bad player. So, yeah, I was going with his career path where he was becoming a below average player. But if you assume that's re- that he's going to regress back to being bad, then yeah, those guys yeah. are big upgrades. <laughs> right. um, I don't think Filer or Rick Wagner are going to change the line, and neither one should stop us from drafting Penny Sewell. Oh, but 100%. they're definitely stop gaps, and that's what you yeah. want. And, what Bobby Hart was last year was a stopgap. So right. I mean, pers- personally, I I don't want either of them. But I think if the idea <laughs> is, hey, we want someone that's not going to force us to take a offensive tackle round one, which I think that's that to me, I I'd take any of the three offensive tackles over any of the wide receivers except for possibly Waddle. But even that's regardless. I mean, the the offensive tackle class is great. It's going to be great in round two. So I, I don't think that point is is all that. It's all that strong. So I don't want to do that. But if you are going to get a stopgap guy, I think that the main thing you want in a stopgap guy is versatility. Just because, like, let's say we do draft Sewell and we have Bobby Hart or we have Rick Wagner. Let's say they're making six, seven million dollars a year. What are you going to do with them? Are you going to sit a six, six, seven million dollar guy on the bench? I mean, are you, are you going to cut him? And if, if you're going to cut him, then that's just wasted money you could have used in free agency. So to me, if you're going to get a stopgap guy, it has to be Matt Filer because Matt Filer can play guard and tackle. So you're, you're not, yes, you have, you have a guy that can play offensive tackle. You have a guy that 
if you don't want to take an offensive tackle, you don't want to reach, yes, you can play right tackle. But if you if you do, you're not just wasting that $7 million. So that's that's my idea if you want to stop a gap guy. But personally, I don't even want to stop gap, stop back, ah, stop gap guy. I cannot talk to that. I want Zeitler and Therney or Zeitler and someone else. or I want two startable guards that are, are above average. That's what I want. Because Filer, realistically, not above average. He's about average. So that's where I'm at. Um, kind of getting off topic here. Sorry. But, yeah. No, that's okay. Uh, Filer, yeah, average, and same with Rick Wagner. The thing about them that Bengals fans will like is that they're better pass protectors than run blockers, while Bobby Hart is a better run blocker than he is a pass protector. So you're going to see less Burrow hits from that side, but Mixon's going to have even less to work with. I mean, while we're talking about these stopgap right tackles, what would you think about Bobby Hart playing right guard? Playing right guard? He makes too much money. I think you have to cut him. What's he make, like $8 million? We have... I think seven. Seven, seven, and then you save six if you cut him. So yeah, I'd cut him. Uh, just oh because... yeah, I would cut him too. But I mean, in the in the world where they don't cut him, do you think he could play right guard? In a world where we don't cut him, uh, I guess, <laughs> um, it would be okay. To me, I think I'd rather, honestly, one either just get Zeitler, who's probably yeah. not going to cost more. Like, if you're asking me, like, Zeitler didn't want to come here because he still hates us from when he first left, and none of the other guards besides Joe Thune wanted to come here. Quentin Spain didn't like it here. Like, nobody wants to be whoa, here. Whoa, 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 wait. <laughs> Quentin Spain didn't like it here? No, no, I'm making this all this up. Making this all hypothetical. Oh, okay. okay. I'm saying, it, as, as a hypothetical, everything I just said, like, nobody wants to come here, and right, we're stuck right. with Bobby Hart. Sure. Okay. My answer is just, sure, okay, I guess. I it's it. not the end of the world. Okay, I see. I see where you're going there. So no, sorry to give anybody a panic attack about everybody hates it here. Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't be shocked, but yeah, that's another thing. Like, I, I don't know what their plans are with Quentin Spain. I feel like for a guy of his caliber, and I'm not saying he's like a top ten guard, but I mean, he, I think he was above average every year in his career except for this year, and I think this year he was average. I feel like they've just been it's been radio silent on him. They they really didn't. I mean, they brought him in as a practice squad guy, which to me was strange. And then outside of that, they really haven't talked about him in the offseason at all. Doesn't seem like he's really in their play. Because I think they're keeping Xavier Suofilo, right? Because he was injured. I think he showed some promise in their eyes during the season. I think Xavier Suofilo is staying. I think Mike Jordan is staying uh, just because of how young he is. And I, I think they think he has some potential. Um, so that I think the odd man out there is Quentin Spain because, I mean, they – Tobin kept saying how much they're going to have some turnover in, in that offensive line room, and he heavily implied that was going to be a guard. So I think Quentin Spain's the odd man out, and to me, he's the best of the group, which I find strange. But Yeah, I think Spain is the best of the group, slightly better than Xavier Suofilo based off what yep. we saw last year. But a lot of people thought Spain was really good, but he really was average. Right next to Bobby Hart, they were not that different. A little Spain was a little bit better, <laughs> I'll say that, but it wasn't like lead, leaps and bounds better. Well, I like think I we, said, have to, we have to remember that Spain is a natural left guard. And we and, also have to remember that the, he came here midseason, so picking right. up all of the things. A lot of things I had problems with were miscommunications and stuff. So right, and that I should think, be cleared up. Who, I don't know who came out and said it, but they said literally like the first time some of those guys talked to Spain was in the huddle. In the huddle, yeah. That Which we, is crazy oh. to think about because of all the corona procedures and stuff. So that's that's really insane to think about, actually. Like, that's insane. But uh, – he probably didn't even know the plays. He probably didn't even know if we were a, a wide zone team, an inside zone team, or a gap scheme. He probably was just going in there and blocking. Hey, uh, as a guard, you know, he hears, uh, he hears the call, whether it's Wanda. He could just ask the guy next to me, what's that? So a wide zone left. Okay. <laughs> That's all he's got to really know. <laughs> Rules probably aren't that different. Just miscommunications, I think, with uh, Hopkins sometimes about what, I, what protection we move to. Like at the line, Burrow and Hopkins would make a call, and there was a time or two that Spain missed it. Yeah, no, definitely. Um, but kind of, we are way off topic right now. Um, just moving on to, I guess, a general free agency uh, talk, I guess. Um, we've talked about Zeitler. He was officially released since we last recorded. Uh, Gabe Jackson was officially released. I think that happened before before our first recording. So we talked about that. Um, Casey Hayward was released today, which I find interesting. And I know we're kind of getting away from the offensive line talk a little bit. But in terms of if we were to bring a guy like Casey Hayward in, how, how old is he, 20, 29, 30? Ooh, I think he might be in his 30s, but I'm not sure on that. I'll look it up real quick. But 
Mike, what do, what do you think he fits here? What what are you, what's your take on that? Do you think absolutely? He's, he's coming yeah. from a, the same scheme in uh, Los Angeles, and he played pretty well last year. Um, what they does Gus cover three Bradley? Uh, I think they run cover three seventy percent of the time, which is insane. And he's still a defensive coordinator somewhere else. He got a new job right after getting fired. But what what do we do? We play single high most of the time, and. Right. Uh, I think without Will, assuming William Jackson's going to leave, I don't think we're going to play as much cover one man. So that means even more cover three zone, which will be zone match, which zone match is basically zone till man. You back up like zone and then it becomes man. But that's what he's playing in Los Angeles. And I think he fits right in like like a glove, basically. Just put him whatever side he wants to be on. I'm into it. It's a it's a stopgap again. Yeah. Fine. I the one thing I do have with Casey Hayward, and I, I might be wrong here. Uh, if I remember correctly, he's he plays a lot in the slot, right? Um, or am I thinking of someone else? Were you thinking of Chris Harris? No, not Chris Harris. He's I mean, played some in the slot, but it's mostly no, outside. Yeah, Chris Harris definitely did, but I, I'm trying to think. Maybe maybe it wasn't Casey Hayward. I, I could have sworn Casey Hayward played some in the slot. Um, At least not the last couple of years. He's been maybe pretty much outside. I don't know. What what do you I mean, I guess while we're talking about Los Angeles Chargers slot corners, I know he wasn't there last year, but Desmond um, King. Desmond King, I think the fan perception and to me he's a little bit overrated. Uh he's not a bad player. He's a good player. He's an all pro. He's an all pro couple. He was years. an all pro a few years ago. He's the thing about him is that he's a zone slot corner, and I think that those guys are just kind of a dime a dozen. We got Mackenzie Alexander for $2 million last year. He can do that. Right. Um, Denard was great at that. Ugh, I There's miss a ton Denard. of guys. I miss Denard. Kwan Williams from San Francisco, same thing. Um, there's just a ton of guys because while playing the slot, there's some stuff that's harder. You don't have to worry so much about guys going deep on you. And In a cover three zone situation, you really don't because – um, sometimes you have this guy, if he goes vertical, but if not, you're going to play the curl flat and it's not a super difficult condition compared to playing outside where pretty much you're playing everything deep. So sure. getting beat underneath isn't nearly as bad. So, and there's defensive coordinators that I've listened to college and high school, not NFL, cause I'm not in contact with them, but, uh, a few guys that I've listened to, they said like, yeah, that's one of the easiest positions for me to hide compared to outside corner. Yeah, and I, I guess that's kind of why the NFL doesn't really – I mean, it looks like, from the outside looking at least, slot corners are paid a lot less than outside corners. And, uh, I mean, I think that was kind of the issue with that we had with Denard is that Denard wanted to be an outside corner because he, he probably knew, like, listen, like, I'm, I'm good. I don't need to be hidden in a scheme. I, I want to make that outside corner money. And I think that's where a lot of the issue came in. And Marvin was trying to bullshit him into thinking, <laughs> like, oh, like, slot corner is just as important as outside corner. But, I mean, I guess in reality, it probably isn't. Yeah, Marvin um, knew what he was doing. He was trying to keep oh, it cheap. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, but, yeah, so I guess kind of kind of a similar uh, topic just on the other side of the ball, I guess, kind of is a good, good leading into our Tyler Boyd discussion. And I guess the big question with that we wanted to answer with Tyler Boyd is, I, I know at least me, I, I've been kind of touting him as a as a mainly slot receiver. And as we're looking for our third receiver and free agency and then in the draft, we probably should not be drafting a slot receiver because whoever we draft needs to play on the outside and Boyd probably isn't the best outside. But I, I talked to Mike and Mike being very more, he's, he's better versed in schematics and just overall football IQ than I am. I asked Mike like, Hey, like we should do a film study on Tyler Boyd. And is he really better off in the slot? Or do we think he could play outside at just as high of level? So that's the answer, or that's the question we're going to answer today. Um, Mike, what are, what are your thoughts on what you watched? I think you watched the last two years of Tyler Boyd snaps, right? I've watched the past two years of Tyler Boyd snaps just in general because I've been watching all 22 every right. single game after it airs. And then I went back um, for this film review and I found every deep target from him because those are mostly going to come from the outside other than slot fades, which there are plenty of those that I watch, which are fine. <laughs> I like watching right. them. Um, but watched all that got quite a few outside snaps uh i think i think i ended up watching about 50 outside snaps this past uh week and then everything else i already know about it uh short answer to your question is no he's not as good outside but 
I don't think he's terrible outside. He's got a pretty good release with his feet. He can create a little bit of separation there. The problem really comes with when he starts to get deep, he isn't fast or explosive enough to create the separation and then continue to create the separation. So cornerbacks that have at least average athleticism can catch up and right. they can have recovery speed on him. And I so, think that's that's hidden a little bit more in the slot because one, he's getting the balls quicker. It's more of a, a timed a time sequence. So five steps up, hits into his slant route and Burrow's hitting him right up there. So like that's to me, like that's why he's so successful because he's he gets just enough separation to where he can make the catch, but he's not gonna get any more separation than that. Now on the outside, that's a little more difficult to do. That's that's my take on it. At least. It's also east-west separation, not north-south, right. where I think on the outside you need to either be really good with your hands to create separation, kind of T. Higgins a little bit like that. He's also a smart player. He's got great yeah. hands. and That's Jamar Chase's whole thing is that he can create separation yeah. with his hands. Um, but Tyler Boyd, not great at that, and he's not fast or explosive really, but he's really good at change of direction and – little fakes and even his release from the slot is nice he does that little skip release so much yeah. it's something Devonte adams does a lot too and you want to make it look like all of your stuff so he skip right. release to a slant he skips to an out route he skips to everything so yeah, yeah i think he's one of the best slot receivers in the league just yeah. oh, not definitely. even a not even a homer opinion just looking around right. the league there's what chris godwin is probably the only guy i'd say and maybe i don't i don't even think chris godwin's mainly sly i would consider him a z receiver who plays on the outside a lot too yeah uh, I, I think so. he's 50 50 i think boyd's like 80 20 so so then who's the other competition like cooper Cup? I, I would cooper Cup's great though so. keenan allen keenan allen oh man yeah keenan allen i think of this z though so i guess we're we both have a guy but the other yeah. person thinks they're a z so um yeah he's one of the best slot receivers has a case for the best slot receiver but He's not the type like Keenan Allen or Chris Goblin that you can put outside for a few plays. And he's he's even good at double moves. What I noticed is when I watched his outside snaps is that he's so good at the stutter go. And that's actually the play he got hurt on against Pittsburgh this year. The second yeah. game, Finley underthrew it. He was wide open. He burned Joe Hayden so bad. Wide open, but Finley underthrew it by about 15 yards. So he tried to go back and make a play. And uh, eh, didn't work out. He ended up getting hurt. But well, he's I'm, really good I'm, at that little... Yeah. One thing I really had some trouble finding tape on with him is I, I, I noticed that skip release you talked about earlier, but most of the time, and I, I guess all the times, every snap that I watched that he used that, it was either in zone or off man. And it was, he never really had an opportunity, at least that I saw, to do that against press. And I, I found, I, I literally found nothing on him against press. I found maybe one snap. And I, I was just going to ask you, like, did you see many press snaps on him? Do, did you do? Ah, sorry, do you think that he can handle press? Because that's not something he's really seen that much. Yeah, not a ton. And that skip release is actually even better for the slot because I he's think the skip being, release sets right. you up more for going outside or inside rather than right. north and south. Um, right. Yeah, he, he doesn't have a ton of snaps against press from the outside from like a number one cornerback. So a lot of it is projecting the same as you do with a college player where I see what he can do from the slot. I see that from the outside, he's got a couple things that are okay. I don't think he's terrible outside. Like he's not going to go out there and he wouldn't be a 300 yard receiver all of a sudden, but I think he'd move down both in efficiency and basically everything. And he's not going to scare a defense into playing too high because they'll just trust their cornerback to have recovery speed or the safety to get there in time. So, right, it's part of the reason why a lot of us are kind of wanting a a deep threat, quote unquote, or a, a guy that can actually separate. Because right now you, we have Higgins who separates well with his hands, but outside of that, he's not a great separator. Boyd, he's just not really a great separator by any means. Uh, and I think we our team as a whole ranked last in average yards of separation last year. So like, I, I think that's something that we we're already missing. And I think by moving Boyd outside, that might just kind of make the problem even worse so but where i'm gonna come from is that something alabama did a lot of and that's in what los angeles rams have done a lot of and what we did a lot of two years ago but not last year is that if we end up with a guy who might be better off i'm not gonna say better off in the slot but a guy who doesn't release super well let's say it's i don't i don't have him watch too many wide receivers but uh, let's call it rondell Moore. sure rondell Moore. i I've seen a couple of snaps where Rondell Moore looks pretty good on his release, and he squats 600 pounds, so I trust him. But I'm, 
I haven't watched them, so I don't know. We'll say Rondell Moore can't release well outside. What you can do, and this is what Alabama did a lot with, uh, they did a lot with Waddle, actually, is you get them into a stack. You get it one guy yeah. in front of the other, and then they both have free releases. They're going to switch release, or they're just going to release off the line, but cornerbacks aren't really going to press it that much because they have, they're usually doing what's called a banjo or a fiddle, just some musical instrument, I guess. Um, one's going to take the outside guy, one's going to take the inside guy. They don't have you're taking the point guy, I'm taking the back guy. It's right. I'll take outside, you take inside. So they're not going to press him and jam him up because that's going to end up messing them up more than it messes right. the receiver up or the quarterback up. So if you put him into a stack a lot and condense our formations a little bit, which isn't something Burrow did at LSU, but he's a pro. <laughs> I think he'd be great in this. Um, Los Angeles does a great job with it. and I mean, Alabama had one of the most beautiful plays. They stacked Jalen Waddle and Devonta Smith together, and Waddle ran a clear streak, nine, whatever you want to call it, and uh, they switch released, and Devonta Smith ran a 15-yard dig behind it as a switch release dagger. And I was like, <laughs> please add that. <laughs> Just get a guy with that speed. Is so dirty. Oh yeah, my God. Have, have Boyd or somebody running that 15-yard dagger. I think he'd be great. <laughs> I think that's something he could excel at over the middle of the field. And him and Higgins are both really smart, too. I yeah. think they find the soft spots and get leverage really well. You even saw that on that one really highlight play against Tennessee where Boyd is really covered, but he knows that this guy's on my front. Burrow's going to throw it to my back without even looking. Either yeah. one really uh, makes the play and scores. I think that's a touchdown. Might have been tackled. Is that a touchdown and you got stopped like a yard short? I forget. It was um, a beautiful play. Uh, play they both, yeah, him and Burrow both understand leverage really well. So what we. All this just to basically say it's not the end of the world if we end up taking a guy who can't release outside yet, who maybe they can in the future, because Rondell Moore's fast. So he he can threaten deep. You just need to work with him on protecting his chest and getting off the line, I guess. Um, right. So while they're developing, get some of these stacks. And there's a well, lot the of reason, The reason I think Moore is purely a slot guy is, one, he's 5'8", and two, more importantly, his route tree is just so underdeveloped. And unless he's he's running a nine or a slant, like he's really not going to be that effective. Like he he's he's those are the only routes he can really run uh, outside of like wheels and screens. Like he's he's so much of a just a gadget player, which is why I kind of had him listed as a slot. I, I think he can release well. I mean, he he certainly has a strength to. I mean, you, we've all seen the the workout pictures of him in the past couple of weeks. He's he's a big dude, uh, but I, I think his reach is going to hurt him against the press. And I think I've seen a, a good amount of a good amount of times where his, his route running doesn't even really like you wouldn't want him on the outside, even if, even if he could release because he, he just doesn't have, he doesn't have the route experience because he's just, he's an athlete. That's what he is right now. So that's my take on Rondale, but something you hope that a wide receiver coach should be able to develop with him, but it is right. a little bit of a projection, but that's why they're a second round pick, right? They have some type of work with them. And I don't think being five eight is the end of the world. Just go compliment Steve Smith. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I wouldn't call it the end of the world, but I think generally, like, if if you're that small, you're gonna have an issue with length, and you you're probably not gonna have the strength that a bigger wide receiver is gonna have. And I think that's just setting you up for failure right there, just because I I, I don't know. Like to me, like yes, you have your Steve Smiths, you have your Demiri Birds, but I think for every one or two of those guys, there's gonna be ten or fifteen smaller guys like Cole Beasley or someone like that. Ah, Cole Beasley's uh, so that's, uh, fine. You got an all-pro vote. Uh, but he was a slot. He played <laughs> yeah, exclusively yeah, no. a slot. That's I was just point. pointing out that he got an all-pro vote over, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. over Tyreek Hill or Devontae Adams or somebody. Which is insane to me, but whatever. Um, anyway, though, so so I guess the general conclusion to be had from this is it wouldn't be the end of the world, but we, we'd prefer to draft an, an outside guy or bring on an outside guy over a slot. I guess is the conclusion. Uh, yeah, I, I would definitely say that is where we should go. But even if we get an outside guy, I'd love to see us run some more stacks and stuff. It, it was something Taylor did pretty well his first year here. And then we just got away from it because we got Burrow. And now we've got to run basically the LSU offense, but not really because we're still running a lot of Taylor's concepts too. And it just ended up being like a mixture that to me didn't exactly work out. I think there's a better mixture out there. Yeah, for sure. And I, I think one of the things that I'll, I'll be excited to see is free agency, obviously. And the tampering period starts in two days on Monday. 
Uh, I, I really want to see them get a, get a faster outside guy. I, there's not that many on the market right now. There's some. There's about probably two, maybe three uh, guys that you'd be comfortable starting long term. Probably Will Fuller, who is often injured. Curtis Samuel, who started in the slot a lot early in his career, but last year and the year before, he played a good amount on the outside. You no, know, his uh, his Curtis Samuel's a dot was uh, I think zero or negative because he got so many touch passes. Really. Yeah. So and for, for those I, who don't know, a dot means average depth of sep- or depth of target rather. Yeah, average depth uh-huh. of target. He got so many touch passes and stuff because he was wanted to get the ball in his hands that his uh-huh. a dot ended up being zero or negative, or maybe it ended up being a little bit positive by the end of the year. But maybe it was do a film review on him because <laughs> I, I didn't even realize that. Like I I knew he got a lot of touches in, in the backfield. Don't get me wrong, but I thought he was he. I didn't even think he got the ball that much. Like I he obviously got the ball. Like enough, but I, I didn't think that it was to the point where they're just manufacturing him touches like that. I mean, I yeah. guess with Christian McCaffrey off, off, off with injury, that makes sense. But yeah, I don't think he's a bad player or anything. But oh, when no. when people have talked about him as the number one target for us, I think like oh, it's a little bit of projection. It's just a little bit of projection. He's got the athletic profile for it. He's got the route running. He's got the release. He's got everything for it. Why hasn't this worked out? Probably because Kyle Allen was throwing him the ball that year, and then right. last year they were like. Hey, you're really good. Let's just get you the ball. And we already have Robbie Anderson and DJ Moore. Well, even even if we had Tyreek Hill on this team, I'm not sure Tyreek Hill would get the ball more than Tyler Boyd or T. Higgins. Not because he's not as good. Tyreek Hill's obviously better than both of them, but just because of the the style of the offense and Burrow's strengths. I, I don't think I think Burrow has every ability to be a good deep ball thrower in the NFL, but it's never going to be his forte. And yet he's going to come his forte is going to be the same thing it was in college to me, which is processing pre-snap and post-snap, being able to read the defense and uh, pocket manipulation, pocket movement, stuff like that, knowing where everybody is. And then also his intermediate accuracy is fantastic. So, And that's kind of why like earlier on when we talked about deep threat, I was kind of sarcastic when I said deep threat, because I don't think we need a deep threat as much as we just need a guy that can separate a guy that is just going to create, yards of separation and he's in the defense has to worry about them in that way right now we don't have that and i I think that's built in a lot of times that those guys end up being deep threats but i I think the separation part is a lot more important than the deep threat part just because i mean i mean you just said it tyler boyd and t higgins like they're they're really smart players they're really cerebral players they understand leverage um but they're not the most athletic guys in the world and i think we just need a guy that can that can be that and curtis samuel I think he fits that just because, I mean, even I, I didn't even think his average depth of target was that was that low. I didn't think he was getting t- touches manufactured to him like that. But, I mean, I, I realized that he was probably getting a lot of the more intermediate uh, and short passes thrown to him just because he, I mean, that's just the style of play he's in. That's the offense he's in. So, to me, like a guy like Curtis Samuel might make more sense over a guy who's probably better in Will Fuller just because Curtis Samuel has a more developed route tree especially going to the inside in the middle of the field but oh, i'm gonna have to disagree i definitely think will fuller is the better fit you can even think about the play i just talked about the switch release dagger you're not going to get the ball to will fuller there running the streak but he's going to take away the safety and the corner and allow higgins or boyd to get the underneath stuff so he's a better football player than he is oh, yeah. like a volume uh receiver and i think even if if we want to keep the draft open, like some people talk about, throwing money at Deshaun Jackson's fine. He's still fast. He's going to be yeah. injured. He's going well, to get injured. He like, can't I be Curtis Samuel. I think Curtis Samuel is able to run that dagger that you talked about. I think Curtis Samuel oh, yeah. is able to take that safety back with him because he. Well. I mean, if he's not getting the ball anyway, like we really don't care if he's if he's. I mean, we we just want him to take the defender out. I mean, he's he's serving as a decoy in that situation. So, I think Will Fuller is absolutely the better player. But when it comes to one longevity and like health. I mean, I think Curtis Samuel obviously hasn't beat there. Um, but then also, I mean, like we said, like Burroughs an intermediate ball thrower. That's, that's where he excels. And I think Curtis Samuel, just, I don't, I don't know. I, I, to me, Curtis Samuel's skill set fits that a little bit better, but that's just me. Um, on Deshaun Jackson. I, I mean, I, it depends on how much it is, honestly, like five, six million, maybe that's about as high as I'm willing to go I was on. thinking five. I don't think it's yeah. going to cost much with how much he's been injured and he hasn't really been on the field. But if he doesn't get hurt, it's an amazing signing. If he gets hurt after eight games, it's what we expected <laughs> to me. Yeah. 
that's true. And that's that's kind of the I mean, I've seen there's a guy on Twitter today talking about throwing the bag at Will Fuller, throwing 16, 17 million at him. And I'm like, oh, oh man. like, are, are we are we paying for 10 games or are we paying for 16 games? Because on average, I think every every time he's been on the field, I mean, every season he's missed at least four games. And I think his average is missing six games a year. He's been in the league for five years. So do the math. But I mean, that's I, I don't know if I could justify that. I mean, yeah, if he can stay healthy, like, yeah, it's a great signing. But I think you're paying him at that price, at least you're paying him to play 16, which if he plays 16, fine, great. But in reality, he's not playing 16. And that so. would be the difference between him and Deshaun, where if he played 16 at $16 million, exactly. that's what we ex- that's what we would expect at that money compared to right. Deshaun, where if he plays 16, it's like, oh, we got to steal. Right, exactly. It's kind of like Jordan Reed almost. Uh, like Jordan Reed, he, he could be the best, the best tight end in the league when he's healthy, but he's just never healthy. So right now, I think he's on like a $4 million contract right now because, I mean, teams are taking flyers on him. Like they think, hey, if he can be healthy for a 16-game season, we're going to have an all-pro tight end. Yeah, it was the 49ers took a flyer on him, which is just stupid. I mean, having him and Kittle would have. Yeah, that's. <laughs> Didn't they have Vernon Davis too? Or might... <laughs> no, he played for the football team two years ago. I don't think he played for them last year. I don't know if he played for anybody last year. I just remember that crappy hurdle he had where he tried to. He jumped over somebody in the first week, I think, and it was like awesome. And then he's like, I'm going to do that again. <laughs> it's like, no. Yeah. You did it uh... once. For... His athletic profile is insane if you ever look it up. I think he ran the four threes at like. Six foot eight, whatever. Who? Vernon Davis. You're in a four. No, uh, no way. I'm looking this up right now. It was either high four threes or low four four. Holy fuck. Four three eight. (laughs) That's what I said. Yeah, his athletic profile is insane. So I can't say Kyle Pitts is the best tight end I've ever seen because, like, I think I would have loved watching Vernon Davis. Oh, I don't think. I don't have. I personally, like, I I would take uh, TJ Hawkinson over. Never. I think T- I think he's a full tier ahead of TJ. I think TJ was great, but what what was TJ's problem? Uh, the stuff to me that mattered more for a tight end, which is, can you change the numbers? Like Tyree, Ty- Ty- can you change the numbers like Travis Kelsey? Can you change the numbers like Darren Waller and force a cornerback to card you and you can still beat that cornerback? Similar, George Kittle beat Stephon Gilmore last year for a 10-yard gain. Do you think, think that Hawkinson can do that? I think he hasn't been given the opportunity in the NFL, but he showed to do that in college. And I think he the issue in college was he had they had Noah Fant on the, t- the team at the same time. So Noah Fant was drawing the corners. But I, I think TJ Hawkinson, every bit has the athleticism to do. I think TJ Hawkinson ran like a – I forget what he ran, but TJ Hawkinson was an athletic freak too. I mean, look he up was his fast, arc, uh, but I, don't th- I think he was his game speed. He wasn't as fluid either as Kyle Pitts. And Kyle Pitts, I don't know if I've ever seen a cor- uh, him – uh, tight end beat the cornerback one and the cornerback three by consensus off of press man. That was insane. He beat certain and JC Horn badly yeah. off of the line of scrimmage. Yeah, Hawkinson's RAS was a nine point one eight. He ran a four seven flat. 40. Yeah, four seven isn't the same to me as what I think Pitts is four five. I think Pitts is not. There is not a. There is no chance in hell Pitts runs a four five. Which there's I think, a bet we I could do. He's a lot more fluid than he is fast. I think. Okay. I think four six flat is his best time he could may, maybe high four fives but oh you're already buying into being a four five <laughs> okay that's fair but uh, I, I don't know i don't know and they expected i think tj hawkinson's 40 was expected to be like a four eight or whatever so maybe you have a little bit of a point there with with the game speed but i don't know bro uh and kyle puts is just he's he's a receiver i think he's an okay blocker when is his pro day? Let me look it up. I don't know, but that'll be big for Tony, too. I've seen some people say Tony doesn't look as fast as we think he is. He wasn't really fast on film, honestly. I mean, he, he is probably a 4-4-3 four, four, guy, like low 4-4s four, maybe, but he maybe high 4-3s, but I don't think he was that fast. He, he was very fluid, and he was very agile. But, like, if, if you made him run a 9 route, I don't think he's going to be overly fast by any means. Uh. Still be our fastest receiver by, I think, two tenths of a second. So, yeah, Higgins I think is our fastest, fastest receiver right four, now. Four, five, five. I, I think I, it's either, I mean, not, we only have like four receivers in the roster right now. Boyd ran like a four, six, I believe. Yeah, I think Higgins was a four, five, five. Boyd ran a four, five, eight, and I think Higgins ran a four, five, five. Uh, let's look it up real quick. T Higgins. 40. I think T Higgins is faster than. 
that. Yeah, I don't. I think he's a little bit faster than that on tape. I think, and there was GPS data to prove that. One of the reasons we took him was because his GPS data was uh, four four eight or something, something like that, around that type of speed. And I think he is like that. He's like an average speed to me than he more than he is like some slow lumbering guy. Oh yeah, he's definitely not. He's not an, an athletic guy by any means. I think my biggest issue with Higgins was I I, I think he was being touted coming out as this like before before his senior season or his junior season i forget if he came out earlier or not but before that season he was being touted as some like like some like jamar chase player and i was just very not on board with that but i, I think t higgins is going to be a great player for us long term i i'm glad we made the pick looking back for sure um i think right now we just need to worry about the fit the fits coming into our offense like yes take great players but i don't think we should necessarily be taking Jamar Chase because he's a really talented guy. I think we need to worry a little bit more about fit than anything else. Yep, and that's my main problem with the fan group that wants to have Auden Tate as our third receiver, where it's okay. Yeah. That's that's the worst fit. Uh, that, he's a great he's a great guy to come in if Higgins or I don't know if he can play the slot because I don't think his change of directions is good. But he's and he's a pretty good player to come in if Higgins gets hurt, and I think that's where his spot is. I don't think we can have a receiving group where the fast where I think our average 40, including uh, either Uzoma or Sample, would probably be like a 4.75 or a 4.8. Right. That's just not going to scare a defense at all. It allows them to play plus one in the box easy because they don't need a second safety back. Right. And that hurts. Mixon, it I hurts. Think, I think where you bring Auden Tate in is third and fourth and shorts, or just third and fourth and downs in general, uh, and then like red zone. I think that's where he sees his snaps. You, I, he's not a guy that you want to bring in on on first, second down, or like even even really third and long. Honestly, just third and short, fourth and short, and red zone because that I mean that's just what he excels in. He's he's great at hauling in crazy catches, and he can go up and snatch the ball out of the air. That's that's what he, he does. He's not going to be good after the catch. He's not going to get separation. So I think that's that's his role, and I think he he's going to be really good in that role. But he's never going to be a guy that you want to tat out there as a starting receiver, even as an X, even if we had two fast guys, I wouldn't be comfortable touting out and Tate out there as, as our X receiver. Yeah. So. He can even come in on first downs cause he's a good blocking wide receiver, but you don't yeah. want him in the third and longs. You don't want him in those situations where he has to get 10 plus yards downfield right. uh, because it, on a five-step drop, he's probably got to run a, a curl route 10 yards downfield instead yeah. of being able to get 15 yards downfield. So what are your thoughts think, on him playing like uh, like a tight end? Whatever. I, I think we have guys that fit that. I, I yeah. don't think he'd be much better than Drew Sample or CJ Uzoma. Maybe I'm just high on Sample. And Uzoma is a better athlete than Auden Tate. Um, and probably about the same size. He's pretty big. Um, so I don't think he even adds much unless CJ isn't fully recovered from his Achilles. And then in which case, yeah, we might want to try him out there sometimes. But he's a good wide receiver blocker, but he's not a good tight end blocker. Like, I don't trust him. One memory I have is two years ago, I went to training camp and I saw the, the, the Bengals are running wide receiver drills, and I was right on the sideline. And they were doing the drill where they stand behind the, uh, oh God, I don't know what to call it. Not the, the it was like a, a fake guy or whatever. And they were catching the ball. Like, they had to jump up and catch above him and then, like, come down, obviously. Oh, and yeah, every single one of the players was jumping up and catching it. And Auden Tate just could like go on his tiptoes and catch it, and it was hilarious. <laughs> he's like but, that. He's like um, uh, Bobin in the NBA. I can't remember his last name. Marjanovic, who can dunk while standing. <laughs> who's the Who's the ball ball guy? Or ball ball. Yeah, he can do that too. Who's the? Uh, was it him? Taco 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 uh, Fall. He was also Taco like Fall. seven yeah, it's like seven nine or something like that. Like one of the tallest guys on the planet. I I don't know. He he's really light too. Like. I, let me look it up real quick. This is really off topic, but I, I saw this video on Twitter about him the other day. Yeah, he's seven five, and he weighs like three hundred and eleven pounds, which like sounds like a lot, but apparently like his big thing is like he's too skinny, and like I, I can't even imagine being three hundred and ten, three hundred fifteen pounds and being considered skinny to the point where they don't play him because he's like a liability to be injured. Well, like, imagine that, how much you have to eat at that weight to put on weight too. Yeah. Oh my God. That'd be insane. <laughs> it's like 10 meals. That's I, that'd be such a curse. Honestly, I don't think I'd ever want to be that tall. I, ugh. poor guy, poor guy. Ball ball is only two twenty. 
That's insane. He's like seven foot something. 220. That's that's incredibly skinny. I'm five eleven and I weigh one ninety. Well, one eighty. <laughs> so like, that's like oh, okay. Back back on track. Off though. topic. Uh, off incredibly off topic. Uh, I think that's what I. So we talked about Boyd, the what we should be looking at in free agency. Lawson. Anything else we need to talk about? I'll do a quick Twitter checking of the timeline to see if anything came out in the past hour because I mean it is that time of year. Uh, it's not looking like it. Yeah, I can't think of too much else. Daryl Williams got signed. He yep. is. He, I think incredibly cheap. Incredibly cheap. Incredibly cheap. No, if we signed him for that, I would have been happy. But I saw people oh. saying we should sign him for thirteen million a year, and I'm Absolutely. like, okay, he's not. Um. He, he, if we're doing that, just pay the extra, pay an extra 10 and get Trent Williams. Not, see, I'm not even on board with that. I, uh, I, what I'm saying is basically like, yeah, he's pretty uh, good. He's not $13 million a year good. He's, I, but personally, he's, I think he's like, I think he's 10 or $11 million good. I mean, with the rising cap, like if you want to pay him 13, fine, whatever. But I think in a year where the offensive tackle draft class is as good as it is. I don't think that's necessarily the smartest move, especially when we know we're going to be targeting offensive tackle early on. I that I that's why I can't justify. I think a lot of our offensive my argument against all of the offensive tackles in free agency, but a lot of our offensive line problems immediately go away if Sewell just drops to five and we draft him. Like nobody, nobody would have wanted Daryl. Like imagine we we sign Daryl Williams for thirteen or fourteen million dollars a year, and then Sewell's there at five. (laughs) It's Mm -hmm. like. Him. Yep, exactly. Exactly. Sewell, Sewell probably would be as good his rookie year, I think, or maybe just a little bit worse. But he should be very good. Yeah, no, 100%. And I, I think, yeah, I, I understand the hype behind Daryl Williams. I do, because I think he was second team all pro a couple of years ago. He's a good player. Like, don't get me wrong, but $13 million is just, it's a little too much for my for my taste. Um, I, him straight up or Joe Thune, I'm going to take Joe Thune. Is just what I think of. I oh, think Thune's easily. still an all-pro level player. Yeah, and that's that's another thing I want to talk about, I guess, while we have time. I mean, I feel like Thune's been kind of touted as overrated recently, and people are saying, like, oh, he's just, like, slightly above it's, average. It's the PFF grades. It's Everybody yeah. sees a 70-something on yep. PFF. And what he, what he really is is he's, if I'm going to give him a grade, it's like an 85 out of 100. He's fantastic. He would be the best player we've had here since Whitworth and Zeitler. Easily. Yep. I mean, I don't think there's much competition like Clint Bowling and Jonah Williams, maybe Trey. Um, so I think he would be light night and day about how much better he is than anything we've had. Uh, you just I would just if anybody thinks he's an average or slight or just slightly above average level player, just go back to the Super Bowl where the Patriots played the Rams and watch him, Andrews and Mason take on Aaron Donald. Aaron yep. Donald had zero sacks that game. I don't think he had much of an effect on the game other than like forcing the offense to work around him right. but because they did so well. Like those three did so well. And David Andrews is also a free agent, who I think is very good, but he's a center. So yeah, we have one him. thing. So I think with Thune, the one thing I'm really worried about is I feel like we've seen a lot of Patriots offensive linemen leave new England and just suddenly become bad. And, to me, that didn't make much sense until I thought who their offensive line coach is. Dante Scarnecchia, the yeah. greatest offensive line coach in history. Exactly. So and he's not there anymore. That's the, he's not there anymore. No, he's been gone for the past. Uh, he was gone last year. He, that, it was really uh, some. It was two guys. They have one's named Calm. I don't remember the other one. Uh, they're they're good. They seem at least good because the offensive line didn't fall apart or anything. They played really well. It was probably Where the best Dante part. Go? Retiring the golf course. <laughs> I mean, he's like 70-something or maybe even 80. He was old. He's I watched. Uh, he's an old dude. Yeah, 73. I mean, I watched a, a clinic with him. He was talking about uh, basically what he does with his offensive line in the preseason, just like drills and stuff and spring training. And uh, that was in 2010. He looked old then. <laughs> so I was like, yeah, I don't know how much longer he's got here. And then I think, uh, <laughs> I think of like I watched a thing with – Paul Alexander, who's been gone for years and around 2010, is like, yeah, he looks young. <laughs> so, yeah. But which one stuck around was Dante. Yeah. yeah. Dante's great, um, but I think I think we're going to see less Patriots O-line leave and become bad because it's the same thing that happened with the Steelers and Munchak. Just think yeah. of once Munchak left and went to Denver, where suddenly Garrett Bowles is an all-pro, uh, 
wonder why. Um, right, yeah. I think fans underrate how much an offensive line coach matters and how we had the worst one in the league before Frank Pollock. And I, I think Frank Pollock is even slightly overrated. I think I think he's a good offensive line coach. I don't think he's because I, I think, think he, everyone said he's coming from Dallas. Dallas has the best offensive lines. Like, okay, but who who really who really set the stones for the offensive line? It wasn't Frank Pollock. It was Bill Callahan. But exactly, Frank it was Pollock Bill Callahan, left, who like, we could have fucking had. Oh if, yeah, I, no, if I Zach know, Taylor I know. was the douchebag. We have to move past that. And we got stuck with we literally chose the worst guy the worst offensive line guy. coach in the league bill Cal- i think scaranisha and bill callahan are number one and two maybe three or yeah that's right i'm sorry uh callahan and scaranecchia are probably the two of the top three offensive line coaches in history and we passed yeah. up on we passed up on bill callahan for potentially one of the worst offensive line coaches in history and i oh different 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 day topic for it, day. it it possibly set us back a while because Hoping Burrow comes back fine, but if we had Bill Callahan instead, I think the offensive line would have been better. He wouldn't have taken I think as many hits. Had, I think if we had Bill Callahan, we probably we, wouldn't have been starting Michael Jordan. No, I, I, no, I, I disagree. I think we would have been starting Michael you Jordan. Think he would have actually been much? good. I think it actually would have been good. Yeah, I, I think Michael Jordan would have been good. I think Jonah Williams would have been a lot better than he is now. I think Jonah Williams is still a good player. I think Trey Hopkins would be a lot better. I think we'd see Trey Hopkins play like he did in 2019 or when is it 2018 or 2019 where he was a top 10 top 12 center 2019 um, uh, I don't think know. he was that much worse this year but he did take a little bit of a hit step back and I think at right guard I think we would have seen Spain and I think Spain I think we would have, we would have seen Spain uh come back to what he normally is which is a an above average guard and I think obviously I mean there's no it's funny real- the, o- the only guy that progressed under <laughs> our last line goes was Bobby Hart <laughs> yeah but, but um, while we're on the topic of offensive lines, and I think this is probably the last thing we're really going to have time for, um, Andrew Norwell, who hasn't been released yet, uh, and Tri Turner, who has been released. And a lot of the people that look at PFF, and I'm, I'm going to be honest, I haven't watched much of Tri Turner, so PFF knows a lot more than I do at, at this point uh, As I mean, when, I, when you relate to 2020. Um, but, but they do have a, I think it was like a 35 grade on him or something extremely low like that. They're usually uh, not that off. They, they, they could be off. Like, I think with uh, Thune, they're about 10, 15 points off, but they're not going to be 30 points off, I don't think. So he must have been pretty bad last year. He was injured, though. I don't think he yeah. even played against us. He started out the year injured. Yeah, and that, that was kind of the story with their entire offensive line. But what would you take a flyer on him? And if so, like, what would what kind of contract would you give him? Oh, I'm not a cap expert, but, um, yeah, I'd take a flyer. I, I think he's – quick i think he's fast i think he fits the wide zone that we're all projecting us to move yep. to um but i wouldn't give him even close to thuny numbers because they're not consistent yeah so I, I don't know six i was yeah i was gonna say i was talking like five no more than six and i think yeah fine at that. that point i think at that point i zeitler i mean i think at that point you're, you're going for zeitler you're going for I'd rather uh, have Norwell than Zeitler. I don't know if that's blasphemous as a Bengals. Uh, I, I don't think it is at all. I I, I really like Norwell. I think Norwell is Norwell probably... fits better. Is what I think of. It's just he came from Los Angeles Rams wide zone, and then went to Jacksonville. So he's going to fit might... right in. I thought Norwell came. No, no, you're right. You're right. You're right. Um, no, my my thing with Norwell though is I think I just think he's a better he's a better guard, and I think he's younger, and I think he's better, and I think that's oh yeah, why. that too. I, I think right now we want to be going for youth, and as as much as I like Zeitler, and as much as I think he's a he's an above average guard still, he's thirty one going on thirty two. Yes, offensive linemen have great shelf life. Oh, like don't get me wrong, Norval did not come from Los Angeles. He came from Carolina to Jacksonville. <laughs> That's right. Okay, I was thinking. I'm like I swore, but then I was like, no, Tri Turner came from Carolina, so it wasn't. <laughs> I guess they're both. It was both, it was both of them. Um, I still think Norwell fits better into the wide zone. Uh, I agree. I completely agree. Um, but uh, back on back on there, I, I think Zeitler's going to be in his thirty age thirty two season. I think we need to be signing guys and drafting guys for three years down the road. Will Zeitler still be an, an above average guy at age thirty five? Maybe, but maybe, maybe. Yeah, not. Offensive line age is a little different. So some yeah. guys fall off after thirty one, thirty two. And the only reason I'm saying probably not is I think Zeitler took a step back last year, and I think yep. that's where you can kind of project him going. Um, it could be just the Giants, because the Giants' offensive line was a train wreck. They had Mark Colombo, who got fired midseason for, and I think he, 
There was a rumor he got into a fist fight with his head coach, but I think it got squashed. But I'd like to believe it. I I, I don't see that. Like when rumors like that come out, I tend to believe them because who, who's the ones that are going to be squashing them? The people that don't want them to come out, right? Like the Giants are going to be the ones squashing it. They don't want the fans. They don't want the NFL to know that their team is in shambles and that their coaches are this Mark fighting. Palumbo so. got so mad that he tried to fight Joe Judge and Joe Judge kicked his ass. I'm into it. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. I, I wish we would have that kind of drama on the Bengals, honestly. They got that I, I it's it's not well, good overall. We have that Nothing level wrong. of drama with players that don't like Lou or the defensive line coach like Dunlap and want to leave, but it's not fun right, drama. They, uh, I I want more than anything else for one of the players to absolutely rock Lou Anarumo's shit. Just absolutely rock as shit. I, I want nothing else more than that. I will um, state again. I think Lou's scheme is okay. I think it gets a lot of bad rap. He's just playing single high, mostly zone, but he did a pretty good mix last year. Um, zone. I thought he played a lot more man than zone. I think it was about 50 50. Uh, really? really? Well, what was it, man match? Yeah, it's man uh, match, zone so. match. He, he comes from the school of zone match, man match, which is weird because when I saw that, I was like, oh, he's got to be a former. He's got to have some tie to Alabama or New, New England. That's how he got this job. He was like a DB coach. No, he played. He was the defensive coordinator for Harvard University. It's like, what? <laughs> really? Okay. okay. I guess. Uh, no, but I mean, with, yeah, I, I don't, my, my main issue with Lou is not even his scheme. It's just his, how Everything picky you've he is about his players. It's how yeah. picky he is about his players. I mean, he, he's, he threw away a franchise cornerstone like he was nothing. He's, saying that he needs like this type of player this type of player like i i, t- I don't know to me like i i think carlos dunlap if he would have actually been given the opportunity would have been fine in this scheme like i, I don't think he would have been was. As good as he used to be just but like he would have been more than fine and it was just Lou saying i want this kind of player like you need to be like uh, i don't know like 20 pounds less can you drop in coverage even though they'd only drop in coverage like five snaps a game maybe and they're not going to get targeted like just well, We'll say one of the things he likes to do is when he brings a man blitz, he likes to peel, which is pretty common. But again, that would be something we don't have the players for. Like we try peel. Sorry, <laughs> that was advanced football technical terms. It's just a uh, peel is when you bring a cover zero blitz, which is nobody back and at man, man to man. And you just enough people to cover those guys. You actually bring one extra. And then the peel is if the running back releases to your side as yep. a defensive end or outside linebacker, you run with them. And uh, well, Dunlap got taken to the woodshed on that. Expected that uh, he was supposed to peel with Kareem Hunt on a wheel route. <laughs> went, went for a touchdown. So how how many defensive ends in the league can actually do that? I would say maybe like six. So. Um, yeah, not many. Uh, uh, apparently we're interested in Bud Dupree, and I think he could do that, but he can't rush the passer as well. Yeah, I, I don't. I really don't like that. If we I lose was... Lawson for Dupree, I'm going to be a little upset because it's it doesn't fit better. It He's, it doesn't does, fit better. Bud Dupree probably costs more. Yeah, he's a souped-up Sam Hubbard to me. Like, he's better yeah. than Sam, yeah, but think, he just yeah, does I, what Sam does at an extreme level. Yeah, I was a big fan of Dupree coming out. I really liked how he could drop into cover. I mean, he was he was good in covered in college. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, he's just not he's not a great pass rusher. I think he took some steps up last year and the year before, don't get me wrong. But he was also playing next to... Two all Just pro list, list off I mean, everybody on that team. Exactly. Basically. Cam Hayward, TJ Watt, both of them. TJ Watt. To it. Yeah. Stephon Tuitt. Yeah. Stephon Hayward anymore. Hayward's going to be a Hall of Famer. TJ Watt at this trajectory is going to be a Hall of Famer. So Alu like, Alu had a career year. <laughs> no tackle. Right. Exactly. So like that's that's just kind of where I'm at with that. And then you um, see Alex Highsmith step in and he had better pass rush production in his short time. Yeah. Small sample I, size, but small sample size. Exactly. Exactly. And uh, I, I don't know the, the other. I don't know. There's, it's just if we're gonna, if our goal is to improve the pass rush, I think you have to start with keeping the one good guy we have. I do think part of the goal of improving the pass rush is that we just need our defensive line coach to be able to scheme pressures like these creepers and stuff that Lou tried sometimes, which is zone coverage. You play a full zone. Everybody, you only rush four, but you're bringing somebody from the secondary or the linebacker, and you're dropping a defensive lineman. And I can understand. Lou trying that. He kept dropping Carl Lawson for whatever reason, our only good pass rusher. <laughs> Sam Hubbard's okay at it, but not not a plus like uh, Lawson right. is. So he kept dropping Lawson into coverage and just galaxy-braining himself to me. So if we have a defensive line coach that's going to scheme those pressures and be better at it, or if we just go back to using stunts for, like more often, like we did yeah. in 2019, where I think Sam that's Hubbard got 
seven sacks off of that. Yeah, exactly. And I, I think the one thing that I like, let's say they do try and upgrade that their goal is let's upgrade, let's upgrade our pass rushers. Who are you going to get in free agency other than Carl Lawson? There's there's Shaq Barrett. There's Bud Shaq Dupree. Barrett's an upgrade. Yeah, I think Yannick Ngakwe might Shaq be an upgrade. Yeah, no, Shaq Barrett's going to cost a lot more. So I think Shaq Barrett is really the only true upgrade that you could really get. I mean, yes, there's Clowney, but I don't think he's a better pass rusher than Lawson. No, he's, he's a similar yes. player to Dupree. Uh, I think yeah. he's a better pass rusher than Dupree, and Dupree's a little bit better of a run defender, but yeah. that's uh, really hard. You have Yannick Nagawi, who I think Ngakwe, is pro- yeah. I think Ngakwe is about equal or maybe a yeah, little bit better than Carl as a pass yeah, rusher, I, but I think, much I think worse Ngakwe, run defender. Yeah, he has the, I think Nagakwe has the ability to kick inside more than Carl. So let's let's call that a wash, whatever. But Nagakwe is also probably going to cost either – let's say it's just as much as Carl. And then you have uh, – Judon, who Bud wouldn't be a better one. About, you have Judon, who I don't think he's – if you want a guy that can drop into coverage, it's Judon, though. Yeah, Judon for sure. Uh, but in terms of pass rushing, not not really. Then you have Romeo Aquara. So I, I think those are the Aquara's that's interesting, the Aquara is interesting. Don't get me wrong, but I feel like I feel like Aquara. In I'm terms almost of, more interested in uh, Aquara and Lawson together than I am trying to replace Lawson. Exactly. Because if, if, I mean, if we're switching to a three-four, I mean, that's that that's about what you want there. I mean, Which, in terms of fit, in terms of pure fit, Aquara and I mean, you can make an argument for Judon too. Those two are the guys I'd really like to see if, if their goal is to bring in a second pass rusher. Yeah, uh, I think those two, based off what we hear, I think even Bud is the guy that I've heard the push-the-pocket type we need. He fits that. He just won't get the pressure or right. the quarterback hits or anything. So that makes me a little bit worried. And then I hear we're interested. I'm like, I really hope we don't just exchange Lawson for Bud. If we get Lawson and Bud, sure. See, I don't even like that though. Is that? To yeah, me, that's I think I'd rather get Melvin Ingram. That's just a gross misuse of funds. I mean, I I don't know. Like, I but where I was getting at is like, if your goal is to replace Lawson with one of those guys, you're either gonna get an upgrade in Shaq Barrett, but you're gonna pay five million more. You're going to either slightly downgrade to Okwara, and you're probably gonna pay a slight amount less, which is fine, like value wise, whatever. Uh, or you're gonna overpay for Dupree, or you're gonna probably pay about the same for judon yeah for so i, I think in any player. case in any case in terms of value you're going with lawson just because lawson knows the scheme already he's been here for a while we know what he's going to be and he's probably like pound for pound buck for buck he's probably going to cost the le- the least i mean that's that's the way i see it and i, I think keeping lawson is the best way to start improving this pass rush because yep and you have a foundation to build off of but and everything off of uh, what we heard on the podcast with him is that he likes being here. He right. enjoys it. He really gets it. Like, he, he knows that he needs to, like, there's going to be sacrifices. He's okay with having a low cap at year one. And yes, he's going to get more cash year one because low cap it generally means higher signing bonus. But he's he, he understands the thinking, like, that, that comes behind building a team. Like, he's not just... He's not Dak Prescotting it and asking for forty million dollars a year. He's he's understanding like, hey, like I'm a great player. I want my long term security, but I don't need to be paid thirty million dollars a year. Yeah, and he kind of put to bed the one rumor I I never liked was uh, he we're not letting him use his full pass rush move set. <laughs> he just seemed dumbfounded by that quote. It's like, no, I mean, do you guys watch the tape? He's using the moves he he does really well. The long arm stab and then he has a move off of it. He has a couple moves off of it, whether it's the chop down or he can just uh, swim inside or... I I heard the opposite. I heard him say, like, I, I didn't hear him really he say He said that. he has to play within play the system, within the to me that just means, like, yeah, I can't spin outside on first down or spin inside on first down if I have contained. It didn't mean to me no, we're not. you're not allowed to do this or this on third down. Which is what I assume people it's thought. Not, I think I think what people are, and I, I'm guilty of this too, because I'm going to be completely honest. I, I I kind of went with the crowd, and I, I really was just very much pushing that, like, what the fuck, Anna Rumo? But I think I think that I'm where I came from at least is we've heard this happen before. Like Miles Garrett in Cleveland, that was a big thing his rookie year. Where what was the guy's name? Um, shit, the Jets, the former Jets guy. Oh, Greg Williams. No, Greg. Yeah, it was Greg Williams. Oh, Greg, Greg Williams. Williams. Okay. Uh, Greg Williams said, like, pretty much told him, like, yeah, you can't use these pass rushing moves, and that was actually true. So I kind of just assumed it was that, it was that same situation. No, on, on tape, I don't think there's anything I've seen that I'm like, oh, I wish he would add this to his move set because he, 
He does a long arm stab into a swim. He does it to a rip. He does a chop rip. He does cross chop. He's got all these moves that right. I've seen. What are we, I've even seen him use spin moves. And what are we wanting him to do more? I mean, I could think of like a ghost move, I guess, but I don't know if he really does that. I think I might have even seen that once or twice. So I think he has a full move set available. He's just what he's really good at. He's a technician for one to two moves, which is fantastic. He he has right. possibly the best long arm stab in the game, bull rush. So working off of that, you don't want him to, okay, your best move's this. All right, now we want you to uh, uh, try to club swim. Don't don't stab or anything or do a two-arm, try to bull rush that way. So if that's the case, I think that's understandable. And I think even Lawson would agree, like, yeah, that doesn't make sense for me to become Zadarius Smith with swipes. It makes more sense for me to use my move and use moves off of it. So, and Basically, what I'm saying is that I don't think there's a lot of stuff you can blame Lou for that. I think when we start adding things like that, it kind of takes away the validity of a complaint right. about him. It's the same thing that happens with Bobby Hart. Like, no, that play's not his fault. There are plays that are his fault that you're not pointing at, but it kind of takes away like you're just blaming him for everything. Yeah, no, I, I definitely agree there. And uh, I guess with that, we are kind of running over our time. We try to try to keep these under an hour just for the sake of the listeners. Um, but yeah, so that's what we got for today. We talked about some loss and we talked about some free agency, some Tyler Boyd, some, some things, obscure NBA players, some obscure NBA players, taco fall, blah, blah. Um, but yeah, so that's going to be the episode for today. Um, just me and Mike today, uh, Jake and Blake and, and hopefully Braden eventually, um, will probably record on their own sometime this week. Uh, maybe we join, maybe we don't. We, the, the point of this is so we put out more content. So not, we won't all be on the same podcast at the same time necessarily. Uh, but the point of this is to kind of get some more content out there. And I mean, I'm not going to lie to start off. We, we had some technical, technical errors where it was just, we weren't able to get the first podcast out in time uh, as we'd normally like to. So hopefully we can get those sorted out. Um, but yeah, so look for these episodes in the future. Make sure you follow all of us on our respective uh, social media accounts. Uh, you can follow me at J-A-Y-R-B-P, and you can follow Mike at Bengals underscore Sans, S-A-N-S. Did I get that right? Yeah, all good. Okay. I was just going off the top of my head. So make sure you guys follow us, and uh, we'll see you guys next week. Who day? Who day?